0: Good morning, friends, Lifepath, uh, it's good to see you. This is the final uh, week that we'll be kind of pre-recording a message like this. Starting next week, uh, we will be back to uh, live, uh, real-time uh, messages and reflections as we begin worshiping uh, on Zoom throughout Advent. And so hopefully you can join us for that at 10.30 each Sunday, but uh, but happy to be with you today. Uh, we're kind of in an in-between week, which is really fun, which means I get to do what I want completely. And I wanna just, I wanna tell a story from the Bible. And I just want us to dive in. That's just kind of where I'm at this week. And, uh, and I think it's, it's relevant at least to how we are gonna look at Thanksgiving, uh, possibly. And, and just attitudes overall right now. So we're gonna tell a story from the book of 2 Kings. And the book of 2 Kings uh, is, is interesting. It's telling some of the history of Israel which uh, probably is not something that you hear talked about a whole lot in terms of uh, the nitty-gritties. Very, it's a time where there was conflict all over the place, and it was the time of Elijah and Elisha who followed after him, two great prophets in the Hebrew Scriptures. And, uh, and Elisha, as we'll see, um, was a man with both great compassion and care for the social needs of people, but also had a violent streak in him, which uh, makes him a very complicated and complex character in the scriptures for sure. Uh, but uh, but we're gonna dive in to a story that uh, is, is uh, it's beautiful, maybe you've heard it in a children's story, but you probably haven't heard all of the details. And so it, it deals with, uh, with the land of um, Aram, which we're just gonna call Syria because it's easier, it's the same thing. And so, um, so the the people of israel who were kind of situated in the samaritan region samaria at this point before it became a bad a bad space uh in in jewish thought meaning um that was where where the jewish people were they would kind of they they had this this uh ongoing long-term battle and rivalry with syria syria was always stronger but uh but but syria was seen as as a the evil empire uh, that that would constantly go back and forth and and attack um, the Israelites and 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 then they would launch all over the place and and so the Hebrew people they lived in fear of Syria constantly. King ben the II was the the king of Syria. Uh, he was in charge and he had this guy named Naaman, who was the top general in his army. Okay, the director of defense uh, and and. In 2 Kings chapter 5, we're told this story about Naaman and, and eventually about Elisha. And and here's what happened. Naaman, Naaman is, is told to be a, a, a great man, an upstanding man, a man who was excellent. He was a brilliant military general. He was, he was uh, seen as respected uh, by, by all. He was highly, highly valued. He was good at what he did. Uh, and, uh, and so, so he had been this leader and he was held in high esteem, pretty much the second in command overall, behind the king in, uh, in Syria. And so through him, uh, Syria had won many victories, and, and uh, including multiple times over Israel. This is the way the stories go in 2 Kings. Um, in one such battle, they had uh, brought back uh, some of the, the spoils of their battle, and that included people. And so, uh, um, some some girls were brought back to to make slaves and, and become slaves. And and Naaman takes one of these servant girls and he gives her to his wife. Okay. And so so his wife has a Hebrew servant girl. And now over time, as does happen sometimes, there was a relationship that got built between this girl and uh, her 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 master, this this wife of Naaman. And uh, and in the midst of of all of this, um, there at least seems to be some care. And this, this girl develops some love for her master and for his wife. And such is the nature of human resilience, even in the midst of horrific pain and injustice sometimes. And so one day Naaman, uh, he wakes up and, uh, and maybe looks down at his hand and he, and he sees a discoloration, or maybe he wakes up in the morning and his wife looks at him and, he, and she sees something on his cheek. Just a slightly off-colored patch of skin, a little bit ashen, slight irritation, and immediately they know what that means. That means he has contracted leprosy. A scary, dangerous thing, but, but leprosy means death. Not always physical death, but social death. Uh, those who, who contracted leprosy, which is a, a highly contagious skin disease, they were forced to live outside of the city limits. So people would be banished, uh, for often for the rest of their lives because healing came uh, slowly, and it was very difficult uh, to find, and it happened rarely. But not so for someone in Naaman's position, uh, because of his high status. See, (laughs) interestingly, the same suffering leads to a different uh, fate if you have money, power, or prestige, right? And status, Oh, how times have not changed very much at all. Uh, But Naaman, even though he contracts leprosy, he doesn't have to leave his position. Apparently certain protocols were put in place to allow him to not pass it on to others, and he did suffer, but he was not cast out. And so in the midst of this one day, uh, this servant girl remembers something about her home uh, land. And she says that she knows of this great man, this, this prophet that is powerful, that might be able to heal her master. And so she speaks about this to, uh, to uh, Naaman's wife and Naaman's wife then transfers this information to Naaman and Naaman is desperate. And so he decides, let's give this a shot. So he goes to King Ben-Hadad and, and asks permission. May I go to Israel and may I seek out uh, this this man to find healing and and Benhadad writes this this letter to the King of Israel to send along with this massive entourage and he says, absolutely by all means go and find your healing. we want you back. we want you whole. And so this is exactly what happens an entire entourage with so much money along with it um, is is sent to the land of the Jewish people and they, they sent 750 pounds of gold, 150 pounds of silver, and this is great. Ten brand new suits. All right, so this is, this is the bounty that they want to bring over to, to be able to, uh, to, to give to the, Israel pe- the Israelite people uh, or the king for what he's going to do to Naaman. But here's the catch. In the letter, Elisha isn't mentioned at all, only that Naaman is being sent to be healed. And so the letter arrives at the king and the king opens it and he reads it. And immediately a king who has, been, who has learned to do battle over and over with, with Syria, he freaks out. The king reads this and he says, oh my goodness, this is a setup. I, I'm not God. I have no powers in this way. How could I possibly heal this man of leprosy? He starts to rip his shirt and he cries out because he thinks that his failure to heal Naaman is what Syria wants to begin the next war. Okay, so in the midst of this situation, somehow word gets to Elisha, this great and powerful prophet. And Elijah sends, sends word to the king and says, keep your shirt on king, send the man here. And so this word comes, and Naaman and his whole crew, they all travel all the way um, to this place called Dothan, which is where kind of a smaller village where Elijah lives, and they, they gather around the outside of this house, all of these chariots and 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 horses and everybody just waiting, waiting for him. And here's what happens, and this is this is great. So there's this incredible man of power, Naaman, on the outside. And Elijah stays inside his house and he sends his prof and he sends his servant out. <laughs> Um and he and he sends he sends his servant a messenger to step out of the door of Elisha's house. Okay. And here's what he says. Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, Go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored, and you'll be cleansed. And Naaman hears this and becomes ticked off and irritated. What Naaman expects is he expects this man of God to come out and wave his hands and do this incredibly elaborate dance, calling to the sky, calling from God, and this miraculous cleansing right in front of everybody. Naaman wants to be the center and Elisha doesn't even leave the door of the house, but he sends somebody else and he says, go wash in the Jordan. And and, and this just sends Naaman over the edge. He's he's hot-headed and he says, if I wanna jump in the water, I could jump in the Abana uh, River or I could jump in in the river of of Farpar that are in my area of Damascus and, and these are beautiful rivers. The Jordan River was about six, seven feet wide, muddy at many places. It's not quite what you probably imagine. And so in the midst of all of this, he says he's gonna turn around and leave. but Naaman's attendants, they get on his case, and they say, hey man, we came all of this way. If he would have told you to do some great and mighty thing, you probably would have done it, climb to the top of a mountain. But just because he said the Jordan River, you're not even gonna give it a shot? Come on, try it. And so Naaman kind of waffles and finally decides, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll do it. And so, so, so he, he went down and he dipped himself in the Jordan seven times as the man of God had told him. You can just imagine this scene, going in the water, annoyed, frustrated. How many times? All right, keeps going. Five, six, how many have I done? One more time. All right, so he goes in the seventh time, he comes back out and he looks down at his hand and all of a sudden he feels a tingling and something starts to change. And in the next coming moments, his leprosy is healed and he's cured and his skin is transformed. And as his skin is transformed, something else is transformed deeply in him. And he makes haste to go back to find Elisha, to tell him that it has worked, to tell him that he is whole and he is healed, and to tell Elisha that Elijah has just become a very, very rich man. To the tune of about modern day $15 million reward. And so Naaman wants to give him all of this money. And, and Elisha, of course, looks at him and he says, oh, that's not how this works. I don't want any of your money. And, and Naaman insists because he's so joyful and he's so, he, he's so relieved at everything that's happened. And he says, okay, okay, but if, if you'll permit me to ask something from you then, can I have two mules loads of dirt? Which is this great story. This great question. You know, I, you won't take my $15 million, but can I have two mule loads of dirt to take with me home? And, and here's why. He says, um, He says, Give me as much earth as a pair of mules can carry, for your servant will never again make burnt offerings and sacrifices to any other god but the Lord. But may the Lord forgive your servant for this one thing. When my master enters the temple to bow down and he leans on my arm and I have to bow down there too. When I bow down in that temple, may the Lord forgive me for that. He's immediately thinking about his future life. He has been captured by God. And he says, can I, can I take some of this land? He's, he's figured out that there's a connection between the God of Israel and the land of Israel. And he wants to take the land back with him so that when he kneels, he's kneeling on true holy ground. And his heart remains toward Jesus, or toward God, toward Yahweh even in the midst of this culture that bows to something else. And Elijah says, go in peace. In other words, this is about the heart. It's not about the law. Go in peace. And and Naaman leaves in full delight, willing to continue to trust in the God of Israel. So there's this process of annoyance, and then arrogance, and then transformation. And then this request, and this 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 moment is really important because Naaman immediately recognized that Elisha is not the healer; it's the God of Israel, and 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 in his mind he starts to connect that I want to keep this connection to God. So so it's this incredibly happy ending, this this healing story, this conversion. It's a small small story, but but it's a subversive story, and here's why. Here's why this entire thing matters so much, and where it goes nine hundred years later. Um, Who receives this story? This story is in 2 Kings. The Hebrew people are the ones reading this story over and over again. And what's this story about? It's the story about a man who is a Syrian, who is a leader in the army, and the man has a name and the man has a face. The commander of their enemy army, no less. The people that the Israelites were terrified of. The people that were the worst. And it made it into their Bible. Now, how many of you during that story are rooting for Naaman? Once you hear, yes, he's got a hot head and he's got an attitude, but once you hear the the dipping in the water, how many of you want him to get healed? Rather than come out of that Jordan on the seventh time and see nothing and curse and walk away. Most of you probably, you wanted to see the happy ending. You were happy to find out things turned out the way they did because it's written that way. It's written to be happy to find out that things turned out the way they did. So the Hebrew people are just like you and I, they're drawn into this story. And even though they have these ideas and attitudes about Naaman and about what the Syrians are, the Gentiles, the outsiders, the story that starts to talk about a group immediately dials in to a face in the crowd. And Jews all of a sudden have to think about Gentiles with a face in mind not just a crowd in mind, as people, because Naaman is not simply the ruler of an evil empire. He's a guy with a wife, a wife who has a relationship with a servant, a guy who has a hot head, but is also capable of complete transformation. It's hard to hate people once you hear their stories. It's easy to hate ideologies, but it's hard to hate people once you hear their stories. Brian Zond says that we might define an enemy as someone whose story you haven't yet heard. An enemy is someone whose story you haven't yet heard. So if you ask the Jewish people, tell me about Syrians, they would have had a lot of big, bold, broad statements to make. But after this story works its way into their holy writings, into their Bible, into their scripture, you say, tell me about the Syrians and they say, well, there was this one named Naaman and he actually became a servant of God. And you can't, you can't cover that up anymore with a blanket statement because you know someone, you have a story, it's in your, it's, it's a story of God working in your own holy book. These are subversive tiny little stories that are throughout our Bible. They're tiny little anecdotes and they pull us away from our assumptions and they pull us toward a a storyline and a reality where everyone gets to take a couple mule loads of Jewish dirt with them when they go home. This, this idea of an ever-broadening story of God. And that moment, that reality, it didn't end in Second Kings. In fact, the story comes back 900 years later in the book of Luke, and it nearly gets Jesus killed. Now, in the, in the book of Luke, in chapter 4, Jesus has been out traveling. He's been in the desert. He's, he's received his calling from the Father. He's he started to confirm his identity and he's gone on and done some healing. And he travels now uh, 40 miles back uh, to his hometown from Capernaum and, and, uh, and, and he's, he's already noteworthy now at this point already. And he goes into the synagogue as a rabbi would, as a teacher would, and he opens the scroll and he reads from Isaiah 61. And what he reads, and many of you know this because we've looked at it before, and what he reads is he reads the job description of the coming Messiah, okay? He, he opens the scroll, which was set to, like I said, Isaiah 61, and he reads, "'The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom from the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor.'" and he rolls up the scroll and everyone is staring at him and he says, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing and the people love it. They are eating it up. They cannot believe that the Messiah is coming from their land, from their hometown. At least at first, that's how they feel. They say, this is great. What, what a guy, he's so eloquent. Now he left out, wait, he left, he did leave out one part about the Messiah's job description. And of course, that's the next line in Isaiah 61, which is after he has come to set the oppressed free and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, the next line in Isaiah 61 is, and the day of God's vengeance. And Jesus left that part out. Not sure what to do when when you miss part of the job description of the Messiah, except, the Messiah is the one reading it and the living word of God is the one choosing to leave it out. Sometimes grace leaves things out. Uh, Sometimes grace just omits. So let that linger for a second. Let's get back to the story, though. The scripture is fulfilled. And everyone's excited. And Jesus is popular for a moment, until he becomes prophetic. Because the next thing Jesus says is, surely you'll quote this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself, and then you'll say, do in your hometown what what we have heard you've done in Capernaum. In other words, come be our superhero. We've heard you've been doing great things. Do them for us as well. And then he becomes prophetic. And he reminds them of the job description that he's been given by God. And he says, truly I tell you, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. And then he tells two stories about what prophets did that line up with his calling. And the first story is about the prophet Elijah. And during a time of great famine, he tells the story that Elijah actually went and he only provided food for one person during the famine. And this woman was a widow named Zarephath. And she was a Gentile. She was an outsider. And then he tells another story. And he says, and there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha, the prophet. Yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman. Jesus has just given the job description of the Messiah and he's followed it with two stories from their own scripture that say, by the way, you're so excited about this Messiah thing, but I came to make the story bigger. And I'm going to use these two obscure stories from your Bible to remind you of what the kingdom of God is all about. He reminds them of God's message from their own scriptures, and they don't want to hear it. The people go berserk after he gives these two examples. They become furious. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him to town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked away right through the crowd and went on his way. God offers supernatural protection at that moment because Jesus has more tasks to accomplish and he needs to communicate that same vision in more ways. The point being... Jesus is very likable when he likes all the people you like and when he reminds you that God's against all the people you're against. But that's not Jesus. God is not on your side if that means God's against all the same people you are. Jesus says to his hometown people who love heroes, they just don't love prophets. He says, I'm not going to be your personal superhero. I'm not going to come and keep Israel at the center of everything because guess what? The story of God that I am fulfilling is a much broader, bigger story. I came to rescue the whole world. And that's what Jesus does all through the scriptures. He takes these tiny little Old Testament obscure stories and he turns them into a glimpse of the kingdom. Everybody wants to hear that God's on our side, but only in so far as that means that God gets to be against the same people we are. Here's the question, what if God is on their side too? Jesus invites people to come together around God's heart rather than around a shared enemy. Think about that for a moment. Jesus invites people to come together around God's heart rather than around a shared enemy. This was absolutely radical. It was completely not the way that people normally tribe up. Okay, um, It's, it's an, a new way of organizing. It's still, it still doesn't work well in our world today because creating hatred is much easier to bring people together. Creating hatred and disgust brings people together like nothing else. Just look around. Look at how I can find common ground and connection with anyone that roots against Tom Brady. That's, that's kind of a joke, mostly with, um, with a little guilt and conviction. If Jesus hates your enemies as much as you do, then you are lying about Jesus. Let's go back to the piles of dirt, because that's my favorite part of this story. So Naaman asks if he can take piles of dirt back with him, because somehow he has connected the God of Israel to the land of Israel, and he wants to keep that connection. He's right and he's wrong. (laughs) It's the starting point to some really, really, really deep truth. Naaman sensed that he could bring God back with him to Syria. He could, but God was already there because the Holy Land is the whole earth in the kingdom of God. In the story of Jesus, The the, the holy land and the holy people become the entire earth and the entire inhabitants of it. All of humanity becomes a part of the chosen people. Every single person gets the invitation to come and join in the love of God and the kingdom of God, every single person. The, The good news that Jesus reveals is that you're one of the chosen people and so is your neighbor. And so is your enemy. God's love is available for all. God's welcome is available for all. God's compassion is available for all. God chooses everyone to invite into the world of Jesus where we see things in new ways. The ground that Naaman took with him was holy, but so was the ground that he walked on as he went home. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Every person, every place, every child, every dictator, every politician, every neighbor. And that remains true despite pasts, despite tribes, despite ideology. God is on the side of the army, enemy, general. And if that does not drive you crazy and make you really struggle, then you're not listening because that's the radical nature of the grace of God, and God is on your side. And it's exhilarating and it's unsettling, but that's Jesus in a nutshell. In, in the midst of this overwhelming nature of our world right now, I just wanna encourage you, don't let the gospel get shrunk too small. We're heading into Thanksgiving week and, uh, and a lot of our tables are gonna be smaller than usual, and uh, and that's necessary. And yet, we need to be careful that the tables aren't getting smaller in our minds as well. We need to remember that the kingdom of God is about a table that always has another place, always has room for one more, always includes the surprise visitor. And so, this week, as you think about tables that'll probably pre- be pretty small. Every time you think about that instead of disappointment let it actually be a trigger let it remind you let it remind you that the kingdom of God doesn't have to follow <laughs> that reality in fact it's quite the opposite the kingdom of God and how our hearts ought to be and how our minds ought to be extends broadly to every people every person and it moves to faces and names that are specific instead of just big brush strokes about the other so Be encouraged um, and maybe think about what it means to, uh, to look around and see some dirt and know that it's holy in your neighbor's yard or in your yard or across the world in some new way and be reminded that the kingdom of God is big enough for all of us. Lord, help us delight in the story of Naaman. Help us join with Jesus in expressing the year of your favor even when it's hard toward every human and help us delight in the radical subversive kingdom that you bring amen all right friends have a great week go in peace